Hello, hello, and welcome to another of today's episodes of Saddest Night Out. My name is Roy, and I am the host of this daily podcast, which is primarily about music and creative culture in London. And on the second of today's episodes, I am speaking to Warren Manili. Warren is another fairly recent addition to the open mic roster, but a little... He goes back a little further than Theo does, and he primarily plays our Friday open mic nights. And he is a fantastic cover artist. He knows, um, he has a massive library of cover songs that he knows. And he's also played open mic jam nights where he'll join other musicians. And it's actually happened at some of the Friday night ones as well, where other musicians will ask him if he knows a certain song and he'll join them on stage to accompany them. But on this episode, we get introduced to how he started making music in the first place and the incredible story of how he came to London. So this is me talking to Warren again before we started the open mic at the King's Head in Bayswater on a Friday night. I'll catch up with you a bit more afterwards, but enjoy this chat. So, I am still in the King's Head and I'm talking to my second guest today, who is also a newcomer to the podcast and a bit of a regular appearance at our Open Mics and Fridays. Will you kindly introduce yourself for the audience? Hi, um, my name's Warren Manili. I'm a guitarist, singer, um, probably known in uh, Roy's words as the time machine. Or the time being, we might say. <laughs> um, and yeah, so because, yeah, the thing that I really like doing is playing classic old songs from the 80s, just purely because, um, and what I like about doing open mics is the live performance. I like actually just to play, and, I, and so for me, uh, the thing is to play stuff people know and hopefully they enjoy it. Yeah, and you know a lot of songs that people yeah. know. So when did you first start making music? I, play, I played guitar in bands since I was 13 years old. So my first band when I was 13, I started playing guitar when I was about 10. And where and was this? This was in Australia. So I grew up in Australia in a little country town in, inland from Brisbane. Um, do you remember the first I, bands you saw that made you think, I want to do that? Well, of course, in that time, probably, uh, believe it or not, it's not my thing now, but um, ACDC were really big right. because, you know, I'm an older fella, so, you know, they were kind of really big and kind of Australian, the Australian music scene. What is interesting is, and especially Australian music right through the 70s and the 80s, well, yeah, 70s and 80s, um, there was a real kind of pub rock circuit. Right. But what is interesting for Australia is, is that, and I mean, any other, it's an English-speaking country, of course, mm-hmm. but, and we have the links to Britain historically, but so British music is really popular, of course American, but then we have our own music. So you kind of, um, it's that thing of you growing up on kind of your own, music of your own culture yeah. as well as the same stuff that everyone else listens to yeah. and I'm sure lots of you know, it doesn't matter whether you grow up in France or wherever you know it's going to be exactly the same that you have your own music and then you have the same stuff that other people listen to yeah. um, so 10 so years old you first start playing guitar, playing guitar. 13 years 13, old you join your first, first band joined my first band and that band was called called Pendulum which actually and now there's a famous Australian band called Pendulum in about oh the 
I don't know, maybe 2005, 2010. I can't remember when they were big. I know they even played Glastonbury. Very electronic. Kind of electronic band, yes, yes kind of exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think it was about 2010. I can't remember exactly. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so there you go. No relation. <laughs> Nowhere near as good. And in fact, our, our repertoire really consisted of ACDC, the Rolling Stones, um, just all kind of, you know, classic yeah. rock songs that are pretty easy to play as well. Now, was playing music a consistent presence in your life growing up? Absolutely. Were there it's other been, bands after Pendulum? Oh, many, yeah. I played in quite a few bands. Um, went through all kinds of, you know, genres. Um, for example, punk didn't really re- relate to me and my life in Australia because it was just like, you know, as much as any teenager has a kind of a bit of rebellion. But yeah. to me, like, you know, Britain and punk and everything, that was just a complete world away that, in a way, didn't have a big relationship to my life. Okay. But what really interested me and where I kind of, and even in a way some of the music I play now still evolves from, um, I really loved like The Cure, yeah. who kind of evolved more at the, in, in the beginnings of, if you want to call it even New Romantic, like, you know, there was, was, there, there was kind of The Cure, but then also like, I loved um, this band Japan, who were much more kind of uh, electronic, kind of, you yeah. know, realm of, if you want to call it New Romantic or whatever. Yeah. Um, so again, all my that's when my interest in music probably evolved not only predominantly a lot of British music but what I what it was was music production what I loved about um, for example 17 seconds by the cure which is just an amazing record because it's so so simple but it was an era when recording techniques were all being invented and developed. Okay, you might say the Beatles and Sgt. Pepper and George Martin and whatever. That was a certain thing of multi-track recording. Yeah. But we're talking the late 70s, early 80s, like Tin Drum from Japan, by Japan, which is an amazing, amazing record. Purely because there was, um, the Prophet 5 synthesizer came out and it was pretty much the whole album was recorded on a Prophet 5. Um, and so basically it was a time when the, the big beginnings of sampling, for example, uh, the beginnings of a lot of different uh, techniques of recording. If you think of even back to, I don't know, epic, epic recording, like uh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood or someone like that. If you think of the incredibly grand scale of some of those records with yeah. orchestras and huge sounds and, you know, like they were amazing, amazing sounding records. And so that, that's what really inspired me uh, a lot in music, which sounds weird. Here we are sitting in a pub and I'm playing 80 songs on an acoustic guitar, but it does have a relevance, I think, because that music meant a lot to me then. And even though I don't, the examples I used are not exactly stuff I play now, but it's stuff that was formative in a lot of the way of music I listened to at the time. And also how I listen to music itself because I love I love music for the songs but I also love listening to the production and how a, how a music how a song is recorded the sound and, itself. and the, the sound itself and the way uh, music can tell pictures can, can tell stories and I love the light and shade I love like you know I don't know the the songs that they'll have the really sparse bare intro of which we just 
a, a vocal over a drum over drums and it builds and builds and becomes something and then it'll just go off a, on a complete tangent to the middle age and then you come back again to the, the chorus and you know the whole so it becomes a it's like a journey and, yeah. and I love that's the thing I like about well the music I like is, is, is music that has a visual or has a story to it or the feeling of a story so to fast forward a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. when did you come to London and when did you start okay. performing the way you do now? I came to London at the end of 1987. Um, I, I worked as a, as a film and video editor in Australia, but I was like a kind of junior editor. But I basically, um, I worked on at a TV company and they, um, they basically had a library of literally every music video that was made. Wow. And I really wanted to make music videos. So I grew up, you know, that was for me then, this we're talking the mid 80s, um, you know, all the videos of, again, like The Cure, but even the videos themselves of like Frankie Goes to Hollywood or Duran Duran or whatever, even though of course it was pop music of the day or even the Human League or all kinds of bands like that. But they were actually really experimenting, not with music and just as I was saying about the way it's recorded, yeah. but also uh, music videos themselves were in their uh, ascendancy. Yeah. And they, uh, so basically I just thought, wow, that's what I would really want to, that's what I really want to do. Yeah. So I bought a plane ticket and it was like, I, I honestly say, I, I, rove in Lon- I, I ro- arrived in London with a backpack and a dream. And uh, trying to not make a long story to your question, I can, I'm talking a lot, aren't I? Um, but before I left Australia, at the beginning of every music video, uh, you, it's not what you see on TV, but it has like an ident, it has a countdown clock, and it has okay. the name of the artist and the song and the record company yes. and all that kind of, you know, when it was recorded or whatever. On every single one of those countdown clocks, it actually has the name and address of the production company that made it. Right. So, of course, in a, we're talking well and truly pre-internet days. Yeah. So, the, basically, I wrote down the addresses of all the companies that made all the videos I really liked. And before I left Australia, um, I sent them all my CV. And, and, and basically said, and, and said, I'm coming to London. Um, this is what I do. So you, know, so you know who I am when I knock on your door. And, and did you land anything? And, like, did you what, and this is what, it was an amazing, amazing thing happened. So I basically arrived in London and went around the first week, knocked on the door of every single company that I'd written a letter to. Uh-huh. How, this is how sometimes things happen in life. Amazingly, I went to one company, they really liked my work. I mean, you know, it wasn't great work, but it, they could see that I was really motivated, keen and whatever. Um, this woman said, look, I really like your work, but you know, we haven't really got a job here. It transpires the very next day, she had lunch, lunch with the manager of another post-production company. He said to her over their lunch, oh, one of my editors is leaving, he's going to Australia. And she said, well, that's weird. Um, I just met this guy yesterday from Australia who I think could really be good. And the, the guy who's a manager of company rang me up that afternoon and, and he said, oh, I've just had lunch with such and such. You know, she's, she tells me you're looking for a job and she says she thinks you're good. Um, can I offer you a job? He said, not, he basically said, can you come and see me tomorrow afternoon? I think I've got a job for you. And it turns out that that place, it was called Carlton Television, um, 
in St John's Wood, and basically it was the place where people like Godley and Cream, like they even shot like girls on film that music video in the studio at that place. They um, people like Godley and Cream, um, Andy Morahan, who did a lot of like all of George Michael's videos, or I mean a lot of big big videos in this country. Um, Russell Mulcahy, who was an amazing director of the 80s, Tim Pope, who did all the Pure videos, they all worked there. So it's like one of these things of, mind you, I'm not saying for one minute I started working with those kind of people. I want to make that completely clear. I was the junior. I was like the dog's body. I got all the worst jobs uh, and and the, the jobs... You know, but I was in the right place to me, and and it's like you know the adage that the um, the door slightly opened, and so you know I kept my foot in that door and made sure that it wasn't going to close on me. And I'll be honest, you know, I worked my guts out. I honestly, I I I worked so so hard. But I mean, what evolved from that is the people network that a lot of which I've still got today, like almost thirty years later. Um, and like in many industries, the film and video industry is every bit as much who you know as what you know. Yeah, it's so important. The people network. That is that might so, be the most amazing story of how someone came to London. Yeah, that I, well, I know, and, it, and it was exactly it was a complete turn of fate, and just you know, um, as I said, I, I came here prepared to work in a pub or wash dishes or whatever it might take, and I had a dream. My dream was that it might might happen, and not that within, you know, I literally, that was two weeks after I arrived, I said, oh, well, listen, could I, I actually, I said, I haven't even got a place properly to live yet. I was living in like a, you know, what they'd call these days, like a backpacker's hostel, you know, like, you know, where there's literally six people in one room on bunk beds. I said, I've got to at least try and find somewhere to live. And... um, but you know that was so. That was the start. It was very amazing. incredibly lucky. Incredibly lucky. And I'm always to this day, I don't take any of it for granted. You know, I'm, I'm just. I, I really acknowledge that. You know, it was just. You know, and all yeah. the people who helped me in those days. I, I still, you know, am indebted to them. I feel like to call it one there. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Of course. Where can people find you online? Well, I have my website, which mm-hmm. is my main, my main thing, which is Warren and that's got all of my work, my all my history, and all of that. But see, in Blow, that's completely about filmmaking. It's not anything to do with playing live music and whatever. Um, yeah. I've used far too much of your time, Roy. <laughs> um, but we so didn't even is there get anywhere to, we, online we, where people can find no, out. No, see, I don't because I just oh, okay. do. Yeah, I, for me, it's all about playing live. I just love the experience of playing live, and and I love like playing here at the King's Head. Every single night is completely different. Yeah. And for me, it's the buzz of just getting up and playing. And I'll always try something different. I'm not every every week, but I often try different things. Not just acoustic guitar, as you know, boy. Yeah, yeah. I've got the get the electric guitar. I get the drum machine. I get the the samples. I get the, the looper. Um, but still within a similar kind of genre. Yeah. But um, it's almost like <laughs> you could almost call it a. Uh, there's a masochistic streak in me that says, um, "All right, let's let's try something now." And it's like I almost make myself the fear of doing something so new, but in front of people. And the fact is, if it works, it's an amazing feeling. And you know, I just, for me, I love the feedback of just, you know, it, it's not all about self-glory, but you know what I mean. For me, the buzz of playing is is just having 
you know, just even a few people, even just get it, giving you a bit of a clap, or especially if someone says, oh, I really like that version of that song. For me, that's what I'm much more into than recording music and doing things, you know, getting all stuff online and whatever. It's probably very different to a lot of your other performers, I, I acknowledge that, but we all do it for different reasons. Exactly. Warren, thank you so much Thanks for your time. For, thank Definitely you. to be continued. Yeah, thank and you here's to another great performance yeah, tonight. No, no, thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. And that was that. Thank you very much, Warren, for your time. You couldn't make it up. That you, The tenacity, and again, similar to Theo, that the courage to bet on yourself and to recognize this is what I want to do. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to do it. I cannot salute that enough. That is an incredible story. And you can really hear the passion that he has for what he does in how he talks about it. So thank you endlessly, Warren, for your time. And it was another great performance last night as well. I suppose I should mention on these episodes that I do have a show coming up on Tuesday the 30th of July at Road Trip and the Workshop. The roster for that the lineup of that show is made up of other performers from the Open Mic Nights. They are Afia Lorraine, Jack Mann and the one, the only, Hayley Solace. I didn't forget. I didn't forget. It's very early. I've got to rush to work soon. So you can find me online. Just search for the word saddest night out, all as one word. I'll put a link to Warren's website in the blurb for this episode as well. Thanks again, Warren. Thank you all for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one. Take care.